guys. Welcome back to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another great day for an interview. I have got Blake Cohen with me. Blake Cohen is a fellow traveler, a fellow author, and he has written I Love You More. And it is a very intriguing book that I've reviewed on Amazon and I thought now I need to bring this guy onto my show and we need to have a damn good chat about it. So Blake, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. When did you write your book? Um, I wrote it last year. So I believe it was January of 2019 or maybe December of 2018 is when I started it. And then it came out in May of 2019. Actually, the same day that I got married is the day that it came out. Oh, excellent. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I was more excited about, but don't tell my wife. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Danger, minefield ahead. <laughs> yeah. She won't listen to this. She's tired of hearing my voice anyway, honestly, so um, I think I'm fine. Excellent. Well, there's one positive side from the quarantine here. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the reality is uh, I saw your book on Amazon and I bought it, I read it, and I was intrigued because it is... Uh, there are so many books out there that are really indeed all about the nitty gritty, the, the uh, blood and gore, the how we addicts have lived our lives, and then a few lessons that are coming out. So that's one sort of, of books, and the other sort of books is more uh, telling a few stories and vignettes, and then and the lessons from on what we can learn from them. So one gives you more the horror story, the other one gives you a lot of answers, which is nice. Your book is different because your book was written with a specific purpose. You tell mm -hmm. us. The specific purpose, well, there's two purposes, first of all. So the first is to get the conversation started surrounding substance use disorders. I think that as a, actually, I was gonna say as a nation, but really as the world, we're trying to figure out the way to break this stigma around substance use disorders and you know, even mental health just in general. And I, I strongly believe that we way overcomplicate that, what we have to do to break that stigma. To me, it's really just gaining a basic understanding, a perspective from somebody else, and just starting the conversation and talking about it. So I wanted to write this book in the way that it's written, a very simple approach, easy to read book, quick as well, um, so that it can at least get the conversation started. And to even help with that, I did add discussion questions at the end of the book. So you can start asking the right type of questions when you're reading it. So you can develop a further understanding of what each of the family members in each story were going through throughout the process. The other reason though, that I wanted to write it um, originally was a little bit based on my own story was what actually got me sober was the sudden understanding that I am not just affecting myself with my substance use, which was the selfish thought that I had all along was, why does anybody care? It's only affecting me. And the reality is, is that it affects the entire family system. And then also certain degrees outside of that family system, even it goes farther and farther. Um, so I wanted to write a book that helped provide an understanding of what it's like in each family member's shoes, whether it's a mother, a father, a sister, a, a wife, uh, someone who continues using, someone who's passed away from using, how it affects the entire family system, and to develop, help people develop an emotional understanding of what it's like to be stuck in this rut that is substance use disorders. And it is an intriguing, intriguing achievement that you have had there because your your book contains the core of it is three stories uh, and with i don't want to tell too much of the stories i don't want to give them away uh, <laughs> at the same token it is weird and 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 spooky how much i could see myself in every single of these stories you actually touched my soul in each of these stories, despite the fact that they are written from very different uh, different angles, different settings, different social strata, doesn't matter. It is the, the core principles or the core issues that are 
behind addiction, behind substance use disorder uh, are so, so, I don't want to say common. I'm lacking the right words because it is such a, such a weird disease. It affects so many people. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, one in four thereabouts has got chemical addiction. So yes. that's a hell of a lot of people, number one. Each of these people will affect at least, at least one significant other. Now, in reality, it's more than one. It's up to 20, 25, right. something like that, because we touch so many other lives. So yeah. there we are. You cannot tell me that... Uh, that there is one person in the United States, or for that matter in New Zealand, who has not been touched by substance use disorder or addiction. That's virtually impossible. Maybe 20 years ago, you couldn't go around and find somebody who's never been affected by it in some way or another. But today, in today's day and age, there is nobody I know that when I, they find out what I do that doesn't have a story for me. I don't care if I'm on an airplane, if I'm out at the, sh the supermarket, wherever I go, when, when I get into a conversation with somebody, and I'm very open about my personal history and my profession, and there's always someone they know, or they've been affected directly, or they've overcome their own issues. So it, it is an extremely common issue in, in today's time, in today's day and age. And you know, we can get into the reasons why I believe it is, but it, nonetheless, it is the way that it is. And I, I just to go back for a second, because I, I appreciate what you were saying about each of the stories. And one of the, the pieces that you're not giving away, there's no spoiler here, is that the, the three stories, it's a story of recovery, a story of continued use, and a story of loss. And it's funny when people talk to me about which one emotionally touched them the most, because I could tell you which one for me was the most difficult to write, was the story of loss. And because for that, I've worked with many, many families over the years. And for that one, I had to go interview mothers who've lost their kids to this disease. And it was painful, painful interviews where I'm crying, they're crying. And so writing it out, it, the story almost seems far-fetched and like fantastical in some ways because this, this person's like stuck in between reality and uh, fantasy almost, because they're almost hallucinating. But that's the way that every parent that I ever spoke to described how they felt at the four month point is that they can't tell what's real and what's not real. And if a radio, a song comes on that their kid used to love, they think it's their kid talking to them, that they, they every time they hear something in the house, it's their kid watching over them and they can't really escape this this piece where it's uh, dissociated with reality a little bit, where they're still celebrating birthdays and they swear the birthday candles get blown out. And there's some of that in the story, but um, it was all very hard for me to write. And what's interesting is that that seems to be the story that people resonate with the least because it is so far-fetched in some ways, people can't imagine what that type of pain or grief looks like. And yet it is so prevalent out there. It is what yeah. eighty thousand deaths to the opiates, uh, and that's that's probably a very conservative uh, assessment. Yeah, a it will have gone up this year uh, with with the quarantine. Uh, the the I wouldn't be surprised if this two or three times as high uh, in yeah. the United States. Um, but equally, uh, it is uh, these are huge figures that we are talking about. The same with alcohol. The same with so many other uh, uh, addictions. So, what we are seeing there certainly in the United States, to the extreme, what you have described as reality for many, many, many people. And oh, yeah. I, I, wrote, I read another book, Maureen Kavanagh. She talks about her journey of her daughter being, being an addict. And one of the striking bits in, in, in her book is that she, uh, she speaks about the loneliness of the mother and that when it became known in the small town where she lived that her daughter was abusing and was a meth addict, that, uh, that basically people broke off their, their relationships. And there was one poignant, poignant uh, thing where she, where she finds herself in the library and standing there and another woman who she knows reasonably well um, is sort of, uh, hasn't seen her yet. She stands there, well, see, should I hide? Should she hide? 
and then they see each other and, and this awkward silence and this this mm. kind of and then the woman comes to her and says ah i meant to have gotten in touch with you and she said why didn't you and it's that 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 kind of thing this kind of isolation this kind of taboo this kind of hey there's this shame this stigma and it's such a crap for you guys out there we've just given you the figures as far as addiction goes every single bloody person out there has got a story to tell and so it is so common so let's let's tackle that let's talk about it let's communicate let's bring it up around the dinner table actually actually talk honestly about it yeah and and take it, you know, take a moment to have a conversation with somebody who's been through it, who's maybe educated on the topic, whether they've been through it or not, but help to understand even the terminology, it, I believe, starts is starting to need to change the way that we use, that we describe it, the words that we use. Look, as someone who's in recovery, I have no problem calling myself an alcoholic or an addict. I have no problem saying that because to me, they're just, it's semantics, it's words. It, it, it has a greater meaning to it. But for somebody who's contemplating the decision of whether they want to get sober or not, or uh, find recovery or not, having to identify as an addict, the negative connotation associated with just that word is powerful enough to stop somebody from getting help. But, and you know, you're a doctor, if, if you use a term like a proper diagnosis, like a substance use disorder, it makes it appear as, a, okay, this is a this is a disease or a diagnosis as any other disease, which means that it's also treatable. I can overcome this. It's just, it's just a part of me as opposed to an addict, which defines me. And there are two schools of thoughts there. And, and I guess I'm flipping from now and then left and right um, with exactly that. On the one hand, I am proud to say that I'm an addict, that I'm an alcoholic, because I have done the work to deal with that. I have been, I've learned how to manage my addiction. I've learned how to manage my disease. Sure. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Also, I, with each and every time that I say I'm an alcoholic, I do admit that I was powerless. I do admit for what I was. So therefore, that's actually a very liberating, a very freeing kind of aspect. So there is that positive side of it. And that's why I actually uh, can understand where, where this kind of step one, I need to admit that I'm powerless and those kind of things from the first step program, where that comes in, where you learn to say, I am an alcoholic, because you accept you're in trouble. Right. Um, having said that, I see the stigma and the hurdles that potentially people place in front of themselves with the, with the word, with alcoholic, with addict. I, I use both. I use substance use disorder. And the problem though is um, it's a new word. It has been coming in with the DSM-5. Uh, for you guys out there, DSM-5 is basically how the medical and, and, and scientific community defines mental health problems and it gives you clear guidance because it can be all quite nebulous. So therefore we've got books that tell us exactly what is what. And these definitions change. So the old alcoholism, dependence, all these words. Nowadays we call them substance use disorder. And mm -hmm. that is from mild, moderate to severe. These are sort of the modern descriptions. And I like it because it is a disease. You're quite right. Like you're so right. It is a disease that is treatable. That is, it's, it's not curable, just as much as you can't cure diabetes or you can't cure uh, severe asthma. Um, these are things you need to learn to manage, okay? Yeah. And you can manage them either really well or you can die of them. Uh, okay. Now that's true for the addiction, that's true for the asthma, that's true for the diabetes. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, quietly shoot up your insulin without anyone knowing because you want to hide it. No, you say, I'm, I'm a diabetic. Sorry, I feel a bit funny. Let me just sort my blood sugar out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this I agree. I, it, but I, you know, I think where, where the issues come in and where honestly people who've got multiple years of recovery or who are in recovery, where we forget 
is that we got to the point where we didn't, we didn't care what we called ourselves. You can call me an elephant. You can call me an asshole. I, I'm willing to say whatever. I don't really care. Just how do I stop what's happening? Because I'm, I'm in such a low place. What I think that using terminology, whether it's substance use disorder or whether it's substance dependence or whether it's addiction or whether it's, I got, you know, whatever it could be. Um, I think by using terminology like that, we can prevent people from getting to that low, low, low bottom. Mm. And which is also, by the way, that low bottom is usually teetering on death. So there's usually a very close, a couple degrees further and you could be dead. So I think we could prevent people from getting to that place and starting to treat their disorder earlier. Because as you know, and, and I know, it's never about the drinking, it's the thinking. That's the problem. And I think that if we could start addressing that earlier by properly diagnosing it, by accepting that this is part of the problem, um, and using terminology that isn't as stigmatizing, that we could possibly prevent or at least reduce the number of deaths that, that we're seeing in this world. Just actually, you know, that's a really good point. I, I like the point that you're making. And Blake, you're, you're a substance abuse counselor. You're, you're living, you're breathing this. And therefore, I very much appreciate your take on things because you're on the call front. You're, you're there. You are in the, in the, in the rough. Um, and it's awesome work. It's, <laughs> it's the best work to be a part of it and to be involved and to also be a part of the innovation that's coming with this, with this field. The more information that we're getting about this and the different ways to treat it. And, you know, I, when I got sober and I started in this field, my scope of what I was looking at of how to treat this was so narrow. And it's just broadened so much to where my image of recovery mm has nothing to do with the modality at this point that you you get there. It's really, are, are you making progress in your life? Are you happy? And are you avoiding negative coping mechanisms and exactly. using positive? Exactly. That's it. There's no, I don't have to say, are you in a 12-step program? How long you got? Do you have a sponsor? I don't have to say any of that. It's, are you happy with where you're at today? Are you making progress? Do you feel authentic in your authentic self? Are you living in your truth? And these are words that, for us in the medical field, they sound corny. We are not yet used to them. We are not yet yeah. there. That's I it. love the corny. Oh, yeah, no, no, sorry. Same here, yeah. same here, honestly. That's why I've got all these, these different guests. My guests come from every walk of life, but they are, all, they, are, they are all there with the single sole purpose of making their life and the life of those, those that they touch make that life better. And open avenues that people had so far not even explored or even didn't even know that they were there. And suddenly a new avenue opens, how they can get a better fulfillment, how they get a better relationship with their significant others, how they can deal with their lows, how they can accept their anxieties and work with that, all these kind of things. And suddenly you, you start chipping away and you end up like bloody Michelangelo, uh, going from a, a block of stone to some beautiful David, uh, who is standing there. And that's the same in recovery. It never stops. And it's so bloody gorgeous, that journey. And it's if you yeah. can just highlight that more to those people out there, to those, I've called, I've, on my YouTube channel, I've got several sort of uh, uh, combinations of videos and uh, these sub-channels. And one of them is not quite addicted. And that's, I think, the gray zone. And there are so many of us out there because we don't want to admit that we're addicted. No, 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 no. Right. Joe, Joe, he drinks so much more than me. Come on. So I'm I just, and with all the stress that I've got, come on. Of course, it's normal that I debrief with two, three bottles of wine. I'm going through a rough time. Okay, it's normal, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are the great drinkers. If you can touch their souls, if you can touch them and actually show them, yeah, okay. Yes, of course, that the alcohol will numb the pain. After all, that's what you use it for. And it's doing the job for that half an hour, hour. Uh, but then the anxiety the next day is there. So if we can actually, um, if we can learn to use different things, that's wonderful. Blake, how By the way, if you see me get distracted, there's a cat that my cat loves to jump on me in the middle of these. Uh, it's fantastic. Every time. So, fantastic. Like, just so you know. 
That's absolutely fine. That's cool. That is uh... <laughs> every time. I mean, he's the sweetest little, he's my little guy. I don't have any kids yet. So this is my little boy, <laughs> but, but it's just without fail. Which is perfect. It is perfect. Come on, the, the interview uh, that this, uh, what was it, a defense strategist or so, he did this really professional interview and suddenly the door behind him flings open and his two little toddlers come in and try oh, to Oh, I, I did see that. that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. gorgeous. And then the nanny comes in behind, bangs into the doors, tries to grab them. It was the interview sensation. <laughs> the other day so, I was listening to a, a podcast that Conan O'Brien has this hilarious <laughs> podcast, Conan Needs a Friend, and he was... Uh, interviewing Michelle Obama and they're having this serious conversation and all of a sudden the dog starts barking and the conversation you know Michelle's so embarrassed because it's a professional conversation but her dog won't stop barking and the dog is a famous dog you know he was the, the first dog of the house the first dog of the United States and um the conversation just gets totally derailed by this dog and it turns into this lighthearted conversation. It was so funny. <laughs> and that's life and that's recovery. And that's, that's, that's life. You are intending to do something. And the gods up there in the, in the Creek Pantheon, uh, they look down and say, <laughs> look what he's trying to do. <laughs> right, look at him trying to be <laughs> so serious. That's right, let's derail that, shall we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's life. And that's what we need to learn, that uh, the best intentions go pear-shaped you know every soldier knows that their best uh military plans will disintegrate as soon as the enemy gets involved and right. it's the same with our intentions intentions in life so therefore we need to learn different coping mechanisms we need to learn different different ways how to, to look and think about ourselves and that is real recovery yeah so rehab my is partner cool. and i we yep. do interventions and we, I actually use that example to parents all the time that we, you know, we come up with this game, this great battle plan or families all the time. We come up with this great battle plan for how we're going to attack this intervention and how we're going to get this done and how we're going to be, be successful. But I'm, I let them know that as soon as that person walks in the room, the plans are going to go away and they're going to change. So the, the plan is an ideal that we're going to try to stick to. Chances are we're going to have to adapt. And that just right there is life. That is recovery. That is the beauty of life is the fact that we have to constantly adapt. And that, that cheesy book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, that I remember seeing as a kid, just always <laughs> comes to my mind of going, you know what? These little things don't matter. And that's just sort of the beauty of it. Exactly. Whatever our plans are, you know, we can't be too rigid. Let's just, let's just adapt, go with the flow. Exactly. Like Bruce Lee said, be like water. <laughs> do you do martial arts? <laughs> do I do much, do much what? Do you do martial arts? Are you I don't. No. I actually, when I, it's funny you say that. That was one of my attempts to get sober is I decided to join a, a mixed martial arts club yeah. where we were training um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah. and in kickboxing. Nice. Yeah. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to get sober by doing that. So um, I got the crap kicked out of me. And I'll never forget, <laughs> there was a 15-year-old one day who beat the crap out of me. And then the day that I quit actually was an 18 year old girl gave me a, a bloody nose, gave me two black eyes and beat the living crap out of me. I'm like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. This isn't for me. And I, I of course I said, sobriety is not for me, assuming that that was sobriety. But what an, what a story because you have just described rehab in a nutshell. <laughs> rehab is exactly that. You are suddenly uh, you are suddenly facing a lot of very painful facts that you have tried to hide with your using, with your drinking, and now suddenly the first four weeks, hello, there's yeah, your real life. Let me introduce you. <laughs> it was no longer a 18-year-old girl beating the crap out of me. It was a 60-year-old man with a PhD who was kicking the crap out of me <laughs> emotionally. Exactly. And I wouldn't have had it any other way with hindsight. It was, yeah, it was painful. It was, oh dear, it was so good though. It was like, it was like, I guess the analogy of, of uh, having uh, such a rotten tooth that it needs to come out. Okay. You need to train the pus. And yeah. once the, the pus is drained, it wasn't pretty, but you're going to feel better. And the hard part to accept in the middle of that, when you're getting the kick, the crap kicked out of you, is that they're not doing anything other than holding a mirror up to your face. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're telling you the truth. 
And sometimes swallowing the truth is the hardest, that's the hardest pill is to swallow. Mm. Having to realize that this person, this therapist is, is just really telling me who I am and who I've become mm. and how far I've strayed from my core values and who I, I've always wanted to be. Mm. And they're pointing out my character defects and the character defects that developed as a means of survival but nonetheless, they're who I am now, mm. and I need to change that. So true. So true. And guys, that's that's the other thing that we want to highlight in our interview here today. You listeners out there, there's a damn good reason that you're listening to this podcast or watch this video. Obviously, we are touching a nerve there, and congratulations. This is the most beautiful place where you can be, that you're starting to explore this journey. and you are afraid. I mean, I'm an anesthetist, so I meet people when they undergo surgery. And uh, there are people who try to be brave. Oh, yeah, just cut me open. It's cool. And there are other people who completely fall apart and anything in between. Yeah. That's normal. That's fear. That's anxiety. That's, that's absolutely normal. You're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid because a surgeon is making a big hole in you. Fair call. Yeah. When can't okay. you be afraid when that happens, okay? So that's good. And it's the same with you looking at your own journey. And the, the question, if, you are, if you're an alcoholic or not, if you're an addict or not, is, is quite a bit pointless to a degree because that is only a sign and symptom of what really is going on in you. And the key question really should be, are you happy? Are you mm -hmm. content? Are you truly happy with the life you live? Do you wake yeah. up in the morning with a smile on your face? You look in the mirror and say, cool, let's do this. Let's bring yeah. this day on. And if it is not, then yeah, why is that? Um, right. Uh, <laughs> so when, when was the day that you decided enough is enough? And what led you actually to that point? So my sober date is New Year's Eve 2012. And there was no decision made on my, I mean, I guess technically, yes, I could have said no, but there was an intervention done on me by my, by my family. Beautiful. And the reality was, is that whole month I knew I needed to be stopped, but I, you know, as we do with this disease is we rationalize. And I said, someone's going to stop me eventually. So why don't I continue using until I'm stopped? And so when they walked in, I didn't even fight it. I knew why they were there. I said, I'll go, whatever you guys want, I'll go, no problem. Um, but that being said, even when I got to treatment, I initially had no desire to actually stay stopped. I thought once again, I made the wrong decision and became physically hooked. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and it wasn't until about two weeks in where I call it like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Um, the Mr. Hyde part of me was discovered by my family back at home and by my loved ones and my friends back at home. They actually, like detectives, pieced together everything that I was up to I'm starting with my bank account and tracking where I've been and what I was doing and who I was doing it with and all of these things. And to me at that point, because nobody knew it wasn't reality. It was the nighttime version of Blake, which inside I felt was the real me while I wore a mask all day, every day. And where I eventually came to realize that of course they could tell I was using substances because I'm 40 pounds underweight, my skin is gray, I'm angry, I'm sleepy all the time, like there's something going on. But I put this mask on, like everything's okay all day, every day. And then at night when no one was looking, Mr. Hyde came out and I turned into this, this monster because it, it, it's so much more than the substances. It was the behavior surrounding the substances that were truly the problem. And it was the dissatisfaction that I felt with myself that came out mostly at night that I had to cover up with substances. I had to numb the dissatisfaction that I had with myself at night. 
So once that became an actual reality and all of a sudden Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde merged into one and everybody just looked at me as that's the real you. You're the guy who comes out at night. That's the real you. You're not a good person, which I hadn't, I did. It's true. I turned into a pretty bad person. Um, it was like this crushing reality that I no longer wanted to feel that way. I no longer wanted to be that way. And I was willing to do whatever it took after crying for basically two more weeks straight, I was willing to do whatever it took to stop and finally be open to suggestions and open to the idea that, you know what, maybe I don't know what's best for me. And maybe I should listen when my therapist is telling me I'm an entitled little shit. Maybe I should listen to him. Um, Maybe he's right for once. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not always right. So that's where the journey started. Um, You know, getting there, it's a whole long story, but I, I honestly, it's not that exciting to be honest with you. It, cause I had a pretty basic childhood and at somewhere along the way to no fault of my parents, because they parents do the best that they can. I experienced some traumas. I experienced um, some little things along the way where I just never felt whole. I never knew who I was. I never felt a sense of identity. And the reality is I never felt truly loved for who I am. So I tried to become who I thought everybody else wanted me to be. From an early age, I became this master chameleon of whoever I'm hanging out with, I'll become that person. And I'll be just like them. And I'll, I'll, I'll take on all the character traits that they would want in me. But eventually that gets very tiring. So while I put on those multiple masks a day, like I was talking about, I needed something to to feed my exhaustion, to really help me just find that little bit of relief. And I've, I found that in all substances, but primarily um, opioid pain medication. That's where I primarily found that, that sense of relief. And I don't know what it was, I don't know why, but I loved it, every minute of it. And until I stopped loving it, and until it was in charge of me. And as much as I wanted to stop, I was too embarrassed to ask for help. And I know I said before I was waiting to be stopped because I knew I had to be. I could have stopped myself. I could have asked for help, but I didn't want to admit to anybody that I was struggling again because I was ashamed and I, was, I felt guilty and I was embarrassed. But my journey started like, it, like how I told you, and you know, it's been rocking and rolling ever since. And it's just been this whole amazing almost eight years of just remaining teachable, open to others, uh, open to feedback, and just finding the beauty and authenticity that just makes us unique, finding out that I'm weird as hell and I love it. And the people who are in my life love me because I'm weird. And that's okay. That's my identity. That's who I am. What do I care? Perfectly imperfect. That's how I like to describe it with a sprinkle of madness over it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Hey, look, it is, I'm a zombie aficionado. I am uh, a cheesecake lover, uh, but now turning into a very healthy man. I am quirky as, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That is me. You like it or you lump it. I don't care. And that is a power that I've discovered to live authentically and be proud of your scars, be proud of your quirks, be proud of who you are. And that is the biggest achievement in my life. And that would have never come out if I had not been now for years in recovery. And it is beautiful. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued though by one thing, and not everyone has that experience like you you actually had the insight I don't think I had the insight I still thought that for me I I don't know my addiction my alcoholism was so strong that the insight got washed away for the lack of a better word it was uh no 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 no. it was far more in let's rephrase that I think my addictive voices in my head were so strong that they could easily overshout 
every rational, every sensible voice um, that said, actually, it's probably not all right that you're dry retching every morning. It's probably not all right that that you you feel like crap until the evening, until you have your next drink. So no, probably not. But my addictive voices were stronger. Simple. You know what? I didn't mention, but I understand what you're saying because this time around, it wasn't my my first rodeo. So when I went to my first treatment center, I was exactly that way. And I believed so much that I didn't really have a problem that I truly believed it, that believe it or not, and it's still, it's a very good treatment center I went to originally. I left there without a discharge plan, with no need for follow-up, with none of that, except for I had to follow up with the courts, of course. Um, but because they believed also that I just kind of was at the wrong place at the wrong time and developed developed a little bit of a dependency issue. Because they, they truly saw me and I truly believed it. I'm like, listen, it was no big deal. But after I started using again, once I finished the whole court process up and started using again, everything that I heard talked about in my first treatment center was a complete reality. And even with cross addictions, even with all of that was a complete reality for me where I couldn't avoid, I could not not have that insight. It was so obvious to me of like, oh crap, (laughs) they were absolutely right. So I'm gonna keep going now until someone stops me because I don't want to admit that anybody else was right, but they were. And um, I'm going to have to just keep going on and hope I survive this. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, yeah. So I get it. You're right. And that is the most of the time. And that's <laughs> But again, that's where why I find it to be so important that family is honest with themselves as well. And families are the ones that are around you. Families are the ones that see what's going on. And if they see an issue, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck and squawks like a duck, it's a duck. So if you think your person, if your loved one has a substance use disorder, address it in a kind, compassionate way. There's right and wrong ways to do it. Maybe uh, confirm with a professional, Mm -hmm. but don't be afraid of addressing it. And then don't be afraid of a little tough love too. If your loved one denies it, but you still firmly feel that there's an issue, don't be afraid to fight this head on. Your loved one needs you. You guys are in this together. And guess what? The prognosis of somebody finding recovery is so much better if the entire family unit is involved. Absolutely. And the journey is there. The journey, you might like it or lump it. So if you are a loved one who is worried about someone, and that's the reason that you're listening and watching this video, then uh, be aware your life will change. This person will change dramatically, but your life will change irreversibly. This is your life in half a year's time will be very different because you will learn lessons about yourself that you never thought you would uh, because you are a mess yourself, okay? Let's not be stupid here, okay? Let's be real, yeah, Yeah. it's true. Every single person walking this earth has got their own problems and we do just fumble a little bit here and there unless you have already had your own journey of self-discovery and self-love then this might not apply to you uh but even then you're still learning and learning and learning you just know that you do right right the now, reality is that oh go ahead i'm sorry no, no, not you off. first well the reality is that families don't recognize that they're on the same ro- emotional roller coaster ride as their loved one who's using they're on that up and down and they have to take a moment to stop the train and get off as well and make sure that they're addressing their own issues and addressing their codependency. There's really only a few things you have to address as a family member. I mean, of course, if there's underlying issues or there's a history that of trauma or stuff like that needs to be addressed, but really it's about learning boundaries, learning self-respect and learning communication skills of how to just communicate better as a family, be open and honest with each other. It's really just the, the basics you have to learn if you want this to be a successful process for your loved one and for your whole family. And But it, it requires you to develop an emotional intelligence. You need to learn what your own desires are. And many people don't know that. They mm-hmm. don't know what their needs are. They don't know what, what their deepest desires are. And for that, you need to be, become clear in your own mind. And yeah. you might, for example, as a as a dad of a young, of a teenager who starts using, 
as a dad, you might be in a position where you have worked really hard. You're now in your 40s, maybe early 50s. You're working your guts out. You identify yourself in your profession. You work 16 hours flat out. The last time you looked after yourself was uh, uh, two decades ago, probably. Okay, yeah. because you're so engrossed in your own life. So therefore, this particular dad, oh boy, you're in for a ride. Because now you have not only got to look at your son or your daughter and her problems, but you actually have to hold a mirror in front of your face and yeah. actually say, well, okay, boundaries. Well, what does that mean? Well, you need some time to rest and recuperate. Rest, yeah. what's that? Uh, recuperate, how do you write that? Um, yeah. Exactly. So there's so many things out there. But there's, there's good reason why that a a family unit healing together is so successful for somebody's long-term recovery. There's good reason why, because if you don't do that, your loved one will come back from treatment or come back from or wherever they go. Even if they don't go to treatment, they're always going to feel like the outsider. It's which addiction and substance use disorders and alcoholism, all that is already isolating enough. So now all of a sudden, this is the person who's trying to get better. They're trying to do it on their own. They're coming back to this house where everyone's kind of looking at them, walking on eggshells, hoping <laughs> they don't make the same mistakes. They're accusing them of using again just because they're falling asleep on the couch. Mm. So if everybody's healing as a family, that person's no longer the ugly duckling, duckling anymore. Yeah. The whole family is either ugly ducklings or they're all beautiful together because they're unique, but they're all in this process together. The person doesn't feel alone in their fight. They don't feel like they're being put into a box, like they're different and everybody else is standing outside the box, kind of poking at it, staring at them and making sure they're okay. So it's, it's so important that people go on that journey together. Mm. And, and even if that means Again, tough love. It doesn't always mean that you can overly love someone and do all of these great things. It also means that if your loved one doesn't accept help and your loved one doesn't get better, you still have to get better. You still have to be the one to start working on yourself. If your loved one refuses the help, you have to get better as well. Because eventually there is going to come that day where that loved one comes to you and asks for help and you'll be strong enough to help them. And that is so powerful. Also, don't forget the impact that you will have if you change yourself and with your changes become this new you, the new you that other people now start looking up to. So instead mm -hmm. of being a nagging dad or a whinging mother, you suddenly are this, this powerful woman or man who walks calmly through the house, who has got a, a certain aura, a certain manner, as we call it in New Zealand. Eh? You just feel it. You know, someone comes into the room and you say, wow, okay, this is a force to be reckoned with in the nicest yeah. way. And that is someone to look up to. How yeah. cool would that be if you are this person and that your young man actually now no longer sees you as, I don't know how he sees you, uh, but actually sees the true you, the real you, this this beautiful you that yeah. he aspires to be and be close to. So suddenly the what you want as a dad, that there is a closer relationship, that there is a good relationship, suddenly you are achieving that by looking after yourself, yeah. by being a role model. And that's, wow, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, hey guys, I've got a goosebumps here. Um, and that is, uh, that's not bullshit. That's really, really true. It yeah. is wonderful. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, there's this myth I think that family members have if, you know what, I don't, you don't have to worry about me. As long as they get better, I'll be happy. And that's the total <laughs> wrong approach to take. Yeah. And you have, I mean, I hear that that's every day and that's okay. People develop, they turn into that because they're, it's this self-sacrificing, I don't care. As long as they get better, I'll be fine, but I can't get better until they're fine. Mm. And the truth is, is taking care of yourself is a matter of just having enough self-respect for yourself, mm. finding enough confidence for yourself that you'll be okay no matter what happens with your loved one. And then you'll be able to address them much more efficiently and effectively if you are in a better state of mind. But if you're in this panicked mode where you're just sitting there kind of waiting for them to come up to you and say, hey, I need help. And you're gonna go, oh my God, 
yes, you're going to make a rash decision that you're that you could end up regretting later on. Um, you're giving too much weight to the other person by showing somebody else that you're going to be okay no matter what, and you're there to help them and be strong for them no matter what. Is going to be an inspiration to your loved one who is struggling. They'll be able to come to you when you're ready, and you'll be able to actually help them and not have a knee jerk reaction to them wanting help. Yeah, and I guess. Uh... My hands automatically do that here, but that's actually codependency in 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 a nutshell. Um, what you're describing there is actually that you start learning to stand on your own feet, but and that means that you know where your feet are and yet you know more about yourself. And then then the other person, the addict, your son, your daughter, your the loved one, your, your wife, your brother, uh, have got a choice of either crashing or hopefully. Um, finding their own feet and actually say, well, actually, it's come a bit close and let's work together and be parallel. And by the way, everything that we're saying right now, it sounds so idealistic to the listener. And Mm -hmm. believe me, both of us are recognizing how difficult this process is. It is certainly not an overnight process. It does take time. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So, you know, that's why we keep saying you have to work on yourself. It takes time. Uh, it's not easy. It sounds so much easier said than done, but it is absolutely possible. And I, I've seen it. I see it day in and day out. Isn't that exactly day in, yeah. day out. And it is a beautiful journey. Just don't expect immediate results. You can't just go to rehab for, uh, let's say, four weeks and then you come out this new and improved you. And yeah. everyone at home is smiling. It's everything's fine. Well, no, yeah. it doesn't work like that. And in all fairness, for me, I always describe myself as a as a hollow shell um, that walked around for probably eighteen months or so, where I needed to find myself. And this was mm. a slow process. And I slowly learned to define myself in different ways, uh, starting to no longer be sorry for myself, but starting to do small little things that I felt, wow, that feels good. I like to do that. I, I spend time with my with my kids now. Oh, wow, that actually feels good. But you're learning that. That is a new, complete new journey. And yeah. it takes time, but it's the most beautiful journey. Did you, did you have relapses in, or lapses in, in um, your journey? Not since the date that I, not since New Year's Eve, 2012. Since then, I have not put anything in my, my, my system and um, not for a lack of the urges or maybe cravings popping up, but it's very sporadically. And it's usually, I, I have a number of injuries that I've, I'm a little bit of clumsy. So I, um, the doctors have offered me, and you know, like I mentioned before, pain medication has always been my issue and doctors have very willingly offered them to me, but I have to stand in my truth and um, recognize that is the pain severe enough where I have to, or am I going to get through today? And the answer to that has always been, you know, I can, I can grit my teeth and bear through this and I'll be okay. And, you know, I did. So there has been times, but there hasn't been any lapses. Um, You know what, man, I, I honestly live a life today where I wouldn't even, I have no desire to use. And I think that's the definition, the true definition of recovery is creating a life where you you could take it or leave it. You don't need those substances to make you escape reality. My own reality I live in is awesome. That's right. I don't want to escape it. On the contrary, I want to live yeah. it. I want to touch it, feel it, taste it. This is all real life. This is excitement. This is this is cool shit. I yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. So agreed, 100% agreed. Um, having said that, the reason I asked that question is it's certainly in for alcoholics, it is normal to relapse. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that it is whilst we are talking about all these, these beautiful journeys that, that Blake and I have been on, there were, for me, there were relapses. There were, or I call them lapses, actually. Lapse, I, I, I distinguish lapse as being I have a drink, relapse as I'm completely falling back into the, the old destructive behavior with hiding guilt, shame, but continuing to use. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wife has, the first time I had 
was one of the, well, actually I only had a few uh, relapses. Uh, and the most important insight I had was when I woke up with a hangover and my wife came in and laid on the bed with me and said, and instead of giving me the third degree and, 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 and shouting at me or something like that, said, okay, why did it happen? What did we not address? What were the lessons that we can learn from it? And it was such a beautiful attitude. It was such a beautiful thing. Recognizing, she recognized that, that, that obviously there were triggers there. There was something where I was not yet strong enough to deal with those things. There were still lessons to be learned. And this was beautiful. And for me, it is beautiful. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, and guys, this is normal. So, okay, this is normal. Um, recently on, on, on Quora, there was a question uh, about, do you have to have a relapse uh, in recovery? Is that mandatory or is that good? And uh, I thought about it and I thought that's actually a damn good question. Because for me, it was such a beautiful lesson to learn that I am not invincible that I'm not, yeah, I went for rehab. I know it all. I'm the man of bees and E's. See, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I am it because I've got this tendency. This is, yeah. And that suits me well as a doctor because I'm, I'm, I know my shit and I can stand my ground, etc. But of course, I don't know it all when it comes to me and to my emotions. So it's nice to get humbled. It's yeah. nice to get reminded that there is actually that there are stronger powers in there at play than than I do appreciate. So therefore, it's it's nice for me. The answer that I put on Quora is it's actually a relapse can be a good thing um, because it reminds you how powerful the disease is that you are suffering from, and that you never let your guards down, but that you actually learn coping mechanisms and look after yourself. That's so what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that it's, they're not so much relapses or lapses, but they're more like lessons. Yeah, that's exactly how I look at it. And that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, yeah so. which is the truth. And you know what, it's a, it's a strange thing to happen to somebody who's in recovery because there's a lot of guilt and shame, but the way to prevent it escalating past that lapse that you talked about is by building the people around you, mm. of having a true support network, whether it's your family, but finding a group of four or five, even two people that you can be 100% honest and yourself with, yeah. who will never judge you for anything, yeah. and they'll be willing to support you and talk through the process. Yeah. That's how you do it. But when you don't have that, and when you try to hide it and you try to be secretive about it, that's where we, it continues on because our secrets are what kills us in the end. Exactly. So yeah. having to address it, just how your wife came in right away and addressed it with you is such a beautiful, beautiful instance and, and an example of exactly what we're saying here. And that's, yeah, the communication. Communication, that's what it boils down to. And mm. it is the, to, to be there and... You guys, if you listen to it and you say, wow, okay, my wife and I are just about divorced and there is no one out there and I'm actually living alone and all these kind of things. Yes, then you are not alone. Please, let's be quite clear about that. There are so many people out there who are like me and like Blake who have been, uh, who've been down and out and Many people like me are, are going into the field. Um, I'm not, not seeing patients directly, but Blake does. So he has come from a position where he knows exactly how an addict uh, feels to now therefore be so powerful in his approach and his, in his way of relating to you and working with you. Yet you never knew Blake. You didn't even know that Blake is around until you watched that video. So here you are, you suddenly discovered today, there is this Blake guy out there. And guess what? There's so many more Blakes out there. You are not alone. There is help out there, okay? You just haven't discovered it yet. We will hug you, we will kiss you, we will love you when you're down. <laughs> well, I don't care, I don't care about coronavirus, I will give you a hug and a kiss, and I will help love you, and I will listen, and as will so many other people out there. There's this thing, I don't know if you ever heard of this, 
because um, especially if you're in some remote place or you're alone and you feel like alone in your family and everything's bad, there's this thing, it's called the internet. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> that you can get on and there's yeah. millions of people who have gone through this and there's such great communities online. Yeah. And then there's also groups of people locally that I guarantee you, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Exactly. It just takes a little bit of searching around online. Mm. Google is your friend. Mm. And you will be amazed who comes out of the woodworks if you mm. actually open up and ask. It is, uh, I never forget early in my recovery, I came back to Rotorua. I was in, in a different town uh, to, to protect my anonymity uh, in the rehab center there, then came back to Rotorua and uh, walked into a meeting and there was this woman and I knew her from somewhere. And she was a woman who, a saleswoman, uh, a retail saleswoman in a shop that I uh, frequently go to. And we met each other there. And from then on, whenever I walked into this shop, there was this quiet kind of, yeah. hello, no. the kind of recognition, the kind of thing. And I would, exactly, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's like, how are you doing? Good, cool. Yeah. Uh, and it was that kind of thing. So here I was, I had seen this woman many times before, had no idea about her story. She had no idea yeah. about my story, but there it was, okay? Yeah. You have no idea how many people around you are going through the same shit, through the same same oh, doubts, shame, guilt, negative emotions, the voices in your head, all that, what you hate is happening in the next bloke. The bloke probably who you look up to and think, wow, he got his shit together. In reality, yeah. he's probably like you. That's why it's so beautiful to be able to talk about yourself authentically. And that doesn't mean that you, um, have talk about only the good things that are happening in your life and talk about the struggles that you face and who you are, how you got to who you are. And, you know, people have always said to me, it's, it's amazing how open you are about your recovery and about your, your past. And first of all, I developed that because I needed to be, because I'm a sneaky little bastard. So if I'm not open about it and I'm in some social setting and I'm, and I have a drink, then no one's going to know that it's a problem. But I like to set myself up with a few barriers to get by where, hi, I'm an alcoholic. I'm Blake. Oh, I'm going to go have a beer. And then somebody might stop me or say something to me. So that's how it started. I was just doing it to protect myself, honestly. But it, it turned into this beautiful thing over years of where every time that I would talk about my issues, someone would start asking some questions. Oh, tell me about that. You know, I have a friend who goes going through this, and right? I've been through this. Can you help me explain, understand that? And it was this amazing conversation that would come from it. There's this, um, the other day I was doing this interview for this magazine, and they asked me a question of, if you could start one movement or one initiative, what would you call it? And I came up with the, how are you really movement? <laughs> Where when somebody says, how are you? Oh, I'm good. No, no, no. How are you really? And get deeper and get to know somebody and let somebody complain to you or just start that conversation and build that connection yeah. um, and just express what's really going on with you. Enough with the surface level crap. We get enough of that on social media. We don't need surface level anymore. Let's get deep with each other so that people can start to heal, get better and address their issues. I so feel you, man. <laughs> this is exactly, exactly yeah. what I, I, what I believe and what I uh, not preach, but what I recommend others to live by. It is stop the bullshit, stop the crap. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Do you really want to keep that mask up? Uh, you know, I, I always keep saying, I'm sure I, I know there are some women out there who have only one side of the face because it's just that uh, you never see yeah. them in any other way. I'm sure they have no cheek. There is nothing there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's just that side there. Like Two Face from Batman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you just think, come on. Oh, no, we need to learn. We need to learn so much. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what? It's, a, it's such an important little piece. And I think that just diving a little bit deeper is all we have to do. And that's how we're going to get better. And we, we have to start relying on each other. And guess what guys, the government's not going to fix this problem. We have to fix this problem. <laughs> so let's start, let's start getting a little bit deeper with each other and yeah, exactly. see if we can find our way out of this. I like that. I like that a lot, Blake. Blake, thank you so much for your time today. This was an amazing interview. This was 
great insights from a man who is there on the cold front. You are seeing it every day. You're seeing the opiate epidemic. You're seeing, I should, I should call it actually the addiction pandemic because that's really what it is. It is, yeah. we are relying more and more and more on our, um, our quick fixes and our society is encouraging us to do so with the mm. social media, with the, with the targeted advertising, with everything. It's all there for us. Our attention span is, is shrunk to the bloody, to, mm. to a night, uh, whatever it is. So no, it is, we need to change. And guys, you can change. You, the sheer fact that you're listening to this uh, gives me great hope because it means hopefully that, that Blake and I have planted a seed and that you guys can move forward with the right questions in your life. Ask yourself, are you happy? Ask yourself, are you content? Or maybe ask yourself, well, what could you do right now to do something different, to, to get better, to change, to, to, to have a better day. And if, if you suddenly find yourself in a, in, a, in a situation where addiction has affected your family, then uh, Blake's book uh, is actually a very good starting point. And if you look over Blake's left shoulder there, I love you more. <laughs> there is his, that's right, that's his book. Um, here is mine, my steps to sobriety, uh, in which I outline uh, a lot of, lot of beautiful steps uh, that have helped me to get clear. So some of the, the bits are uh, about the, the twelve steps in a in a sensible, in a in a modern twenty twenty version without God involved more like a business, uh, a failing business, how would you help a failing business uh, approach? But then thereafter, there, a big part of that book is, is actually about looking up at these challenges that you will face. There is no doubt that your life will be full of challenges. You deal with one emergency today, I rest, rest assured, tomorrow there will be another one. Okay, but they will all be sort of the same. It's almost the same kind of chaos and certain things you can predict. At some stage, you will run out of money. At some stage, your mood will be low. At some stage, your anxiety will be high. Uh, fear might creep in or, or toxic relationships will develop at work. You know this will happen. You can put your head into the sand, ostrich-wise, but then you only get shafted on the other end. That's not good. So maybe you address what's going on and, and develop coping mechanisms, develop skills, develop foresight, develop plans. And if you don't know anyone who can help you there, find your team hmm. and find people like Blake who can help you with the addiction. Find people like a psychologist or a, um, a mental health professional, depending on your severity, where you are who can help you with your mood and maybe mood disorders. So there's so much help out there. Just find it, grab it yeah. by, by its, yeah. and, and make a decision to live a better life because you deserve it, okay? You Truly. deserve it, you're a good being. You might've done shitty things because of your addiction. Uh, that's, hey, that's what we do. We are addicts, we are alcoholics, okay? We are not pretty people, but the past does not equal the future. What those you did those shitty things that you did would never feel shitty for you. It would never create guilt or shame for you if that was the real you. If you really were that shitty person doing those shitty things, then you would never feel guilt or shame. But the fact that you feel remorse, guilt, and shame for that means that you want to change and that's not the real you. How cool is that? Now, that's a nice insight that you just see. There's, there's never an interview where I don't learn something. Can I drop the mic or is it too loud? I want to just... Kaboom! Kaboom! Blake, thank you so much. It was an absolute honor to have you on my show and I hope we can collaborate in the future with other projects. This is... I hope so you're, too. You're a great guy. Look hey, out this is awesome. And okay. just to compliment you real quick, because I think you deserve a compliment. I don't think people understand that in your profession, 
how difficult it is to be this public about what you've struggled. So you've overcome and you are certainly, you are a pioneer in this area. And I know there's other people doing it too, but you are a pioneer, you are an inspiration. And it's pretty incredible to see what, what you've done and how vocal you are about what your struggles are. Uh, I, I'm blown away and so impressed by you. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, thank you very much. This, it is, it, yeah, I still from now and then have to tell myself, oh shit, do I really want to do that? Uh, but that's yeah. another, that's another topic. That's the fear <laughs> that we'll discuss in another, in another interview. Thank you so much. You guys out there, look after yourself. Have a fantastic time and make this day a little bit better. Make this world a little bit better with one decision after another. Look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>